Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Governor Tom Wolf proposes his 2017-18 fiscal year budget in two weeks. The governor has already said he will not be asking for personal income or sales tax increases, but will revisit a tax on natural gas drilling. In the meantime, the state faces a budget deficit in this fiscal year of at least $500 million and perhaps three times that much for next year. Pennsylvania's counties are among those who will be watching the governor's spending proposal closely. Counties are on the point for providing human service programs. And in the last few years, the opioid crisis has hit county budgets hard. We'll discuss county legislative priorities on today's program with Doug Hill, who is the executive director of the County Commissioner Association of Pennsylvania. Mr. Hill, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Also, Dolphin County Commissioner Jeff Haste. Commissioner Haste, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Scott. Let me tell our listeners that if you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Normally, when I start a program, I ask kind of a big-picture question, but this time I want to kind of zero in on one specific item before we work backwards to that uh, that big picture. I mentioned opioid and the opioid crisis. Um, you know, I have no idea whether this is the biggest spending, you know, what you're spending on uh, fighting opioids uh, across the state, counties across the state. But I have to imagine with as bad as it has gotten in the last few years, that this is something that is really testing those budgets. Doug, I'll start with you, since you have that big picture look across the state. How much of an impact is this opioid crisis having on Pennsylvania's counties? Well, it, it's not the biggest crisis at the county level in terms of dollar amounts, but it's certainly the biggest crisis in terms of changes in program and service delivery. Uh, by any estimate, it is a crisis, and uh, we've, we have more than 10 deaths a day in Pennsylvania uh, based on addictions, uh, and that number has actually tripled in the last five years and is probably going up as we speak. Uh, and we're trying to find a number of different routes to address it. At the county level, we have uh, primary responsibility for drug and alcohol programs through uh, uh, our uh, 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 county authorities. And the um, program areas cover uh, addiction, identification, uh, referral, and program treatment. But it also touches our system in other ways. Uh, It hits our criminal justice system, our emergency management system, and other aspects of our human services delivery. So, Commissioner Haste, tell me about your experiences in Dauphin County in particular, because I imagine that what you've seen is what the 66 other counties have seen to maybe a more more or even lesser degree. But how has this opioid crisis affected Dauphin County? Well, just as Doug said, it, it probably is not the number one dollar impact, but when you come to a total footprint, there are very few county departments that are not somehow affected by this whether it's in corrections, you know, we have people coming in there and one of the biggest problems we have is providing them with medical coverage and their detox and how they react to it and continue. And sometimes the detox doesn't happen right away. We see it a delayed a couple days later. In fact, I was just thinking one place that people really wouldn't think of that we've had another effect is just even in our park system with devices that are used for this coming into latrines and things like that and safety of employees trying to deal with it. Um, Our county coroner has been just bombarded with the need for additional autopsies and research that goes on with that. Um, 
you even get over on our family side of things where it affects people and you, again it's not one of those things that are that obvious but it does it hit us where, where you have parents not being able to fulfill their responsibility as a parent uh, because of their addiction to opioids and then that child then have needing to be taken care of by government and things like that it just is a an epidemic that crosses all walks of life all parts of the county and sometimes even in places you don't even think of. As Doug said, it seems to be the fastest-growing area. I mean, how do you prepare? How do you plan for it? Well, I, I don't know that anyone really planned for it. Really, what we, we've caught ourselves is and we're reacting to it. And, um, you know, and it, it's really across the department, across boundaries. You know, we, we work with our local police departments on trying to make sure certain things are out there. Uh, we're starting to have people do more and more identifications. Doug and I were even speaking earlier. The I- irony is this has gotten so prevalent that there's now a commercial on TV of a drug that you can get to deal with the constipation that you get by use of opioids. I mean, what does that say? Yeah. Not one of my favorite TV commercials. No, but I it, have to that, admit. what's that say? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Doug. But you know, we, we have taken a number of steps. It, it, it's not that we're just identifying this problem right now. We have recognized it over the last couple of years. There are systemic and funding issues that we're trying to uh, address so, so that we can provide better service. And, and at the county level, it, it hits three different areas. It's prevention, intervention, and treatment. And prevention uh, is, you know, all the way back to uh, our Surgeon General Department of Health are trying to get uh, physicians to prescribe fewer opiates. Um, the intervention is finding people at the right spot in the system to try to uh, get them out. So at the one level, we've been working with local police departments to get uh, naloxone, Narcan out, which, you know, reverse uh, an overdose. We've been working with the hospitals to do what's called a warm handoff. So someone's brought in on an emergency basis, and instead of taking them out to jail or releasing back to the community, try to get them straight into some kind of a treatment program. And then treatment uh, is really reliant on resources, uh, both dollars and providers who are able to help. Let's and even at the it. national level, NACO has taken a, a strong look at this, and we, we're working with folks. Even What's farm, NACO? Is it, uh, national, national Association of County Officials. Okay. Right. And they're, they're even looking at trying to deal with the, the medical profession and the pharmacy so we can start to track the use and misuse of, of these drugs and help help local counties and local law enforcement deal with it. I'm going to talk about resources in just a moment because that obviously is one of the most important parts of this. But is there any reason for optimism? It sounds like, as you said, Doug, you've been reacting uh, but it sounds like you're very involved in this counties. I, when I say they, uh, is there any reason for optimism? Do we see any light at the end of the tunnel? Well, there there are a number of initiatives going on. Um, the legislature did pass a few laws in the last session. Uh, we are doing better at prescription drop off. You know, things collecting, uh, taking drugs out of the system. Uh, Num- numerous state agencies, the Department of Drug and Alcohol Programs, Department of Health, Department of Human Services, Surgeon General, uh, all have pieces of the problem that they're working to solve, uh, working at the state level and working at the community level. Uh, the federal government appropriated uh, a billion dollars last year to be divided among the states to help begin addressing the issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's talk about resources. As I said in the introduction, counties are going to be one of many who will be looking to see what Governor Wolf proposes and then what the legislature does does. The bottom line, do counties need more money for just this, fighting this problem? Yes, we do. Okay. How much? 
Uh, the number is hard to quantify because it's it's really about building system capacity, and that's in all three legs of the system: that prevention, intervention, and treatment. And uh, so, uh, lot, most of that gets focused through single county authorities, the service delivery at the local level. Uh, but we need to build uh, a stronger provider community. So the providers being the ones uh, who do the intervention and treatment. Uh, and uh, we, we need to uh, fund other programs that can change the uh, mindset of the medical community and the mindset, for that matter, of, uh, of patients in terms of you know, what I need and what's going to be the best regimen for me to deal with the pain that opioid addiction uh, often comes out of. So how much money is coming from the state to counties for these these programs? And when I say how much, I'm looking for more of a percentage rather than a dollar figure. Uh, I, I don't know that I can give you a number, really. Um, the overall growth in the program area uh, was relatively stagnant for probably 10 years over the last couple years. Uh, it has grown incrementally. The last, uh, in, coming into the current budget year, we did see a, a rather fair increase in, in available funds, so that, that's been helpful. Uh, Commissioner Hayes, Dauphin County in particular, do you have any idea as far as a dollar figure that uh, what you would need? I, I don't, since it's across the board. The, the, I guess the problem and the reason it is difficult to quantify is we're seeing at the county level less and less available state and federal dollars coming in across the human services programs while the demand, this being one of them, continues to go increase at, at double-digit figures every single year. And that then coupled upon, you know, the freeze that the state put in last year, the anticipation of a freeze this year. So what is going on in practical purposes in many ways is a shift of the funding responsibility to the local levels, which comes straight to the property tax owners. You know, when we have state and federal dollars in there, there's other blended dollars. There's other ways to, to deal with this. When it gets pushed and shifted down to the local level, our one resource is our property tax. And so it becomes a, a you know, whether it's intentional or unintentional, it's a tax shift to the local property tax owner. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I look back on last year when uh, you had appeared on the, on the program and I was comparing your legislative priorities to what you have last year. And one of the things I noticed, Dougie Hill, is that they're very similar, if not the exact same. What's the difference? Well, uh, the difference is uh, the, the issues that we have still aren't wholly resolved. And uh, we have a continuing partnership with the state. Uh, we are uh, their primary service delivery agents uh, for human services programs, criminal justice programs, and many others. And yet uh, we still have a failure of the state to step up and, and really fund these programs to the level it needs to be done uh, to provide quality service. Mm -hmm. But as I said also, you're going to be one of many counties are going to be one of many looking to see uh, what the state is, is planning to spend. Mm -hmm. Why are your needs at the top of that list? Why are you top tier compared to maybe some of the others? And I know you're not going to say, well, we deserve more money compared to this. But give me a sense of why, and we just talked about one reason, but uh, what are some of the reasons that you feel that counties are so desperately in need of additional funding? And, uh, Commissioner, I'll start with you. We're the frontline service for many of the many of the state programs. Um, you know, and, and one of the frustrations is is they sit 
there, many of them, and they, they enact these things and they're trying to do whatever without really knowing the outcome. And I think it's very well-intended people at times make decisions but don't know how it all trickles down. Most of the programs that we do in human services are direct responsibilities from the state. Um, they're, they're programs that they enact, but we, we are the ones who carry it out for them, us and, and the people we contract with, service providers out there. And if it wasn't for them, that it would be great. The bad thing is, though, when they try to do this, and like they did last year with the freeze, you know, over time they've allowed other entities to be able to be taken care of. Their biggest partner in this is the ones that they financially abuse the most. And I, I've said this before in other category in other uh, areas. One of the lines that I heard last year that I just can't get out of my head when we were fat, fighting this budget is they kept saying, we don't see the pain you're talking about. And until we see that pain, it's really hard for us to deal with it. Well, they don't see that pain because of the 67 counties and board of commissioners out there who just don't let it happen. We're the ones who have to be answering to our neighbors, who have to go to the grocery store and hear mother tell the story about the addiction or what's going on. We're the ones that have to provide that service. So we're that buffer. And I don't think there's a board out there who had the guts to let the legislature see the pain they're talking about. And I don't know that we're still there. Um, and, and to hear that line, it's a gut-wrenching line, and I can't get over it. Well, and, and I think that a lot of people would agree with you because, and as you said, I, uh, good intention people. Right. But if they're admitting, that if the legislators are admitting we don't see that, see that pain, that almost sounds like out of sight, out of mind. Right. That unless we see that suffering, we see that pain, we're not going to, we don't know what you're talking about. And I know the two of you, when you have appeared on the program before, you've talked about this, that you, you say that the, the, the state doesn't really feel the pain or doesn't see what counties are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. I think it's it's easy for the legislature to have a disconnect between raising revenue and delivering services because those are two completely separate votes. They exist in different political realms in a way at the state level. At the county level, we have no choice. We have a statutory, if not moral, obligation to provide a long list of services, mental health, intellectual disabilities, children and youth, senior programs, and, and all the rest. And when the money doesn't flow from the state level... We don't just say, well, sorry, folks, we don't have the money. You're just going to have to be on your own. We step up, and in the last impasse that Jeff is talking about, uh, counties borrowed money. They took money out of reserves. They cut pay. They uh, took a number of different strategies just to try to keep delivering services because interrupting services to an individual or family in need is the worst thing that you can do. And so, yes, the, the legislators didn't, legislators didn't hear from those families, and so instead they just hear from the commissioners, hey, it's you know a, a difficult cash flow thing for us, and, and to the legislature, well, that wasn't as big a deal. Uh, but yes, as, as Commissioner Hayes said, we, we kept the services running. And by the way, the legislature never reimbursed us for the carrying costs of the depleted reserves or the interest that, uh, on the money that we borrowed. That all fell to the taxpayer. And you were talking about during the budget impasse, the nine-month budget impasse last year. Right. right. 
We're talking about the legislative priorities of Pennsylvania's 67 counties today. Our guest, Doug Hill, executive director of the County Commissioners Association of Pennsylvania and Dauphin County Commissioner Jeff Haste. If you have a question or a comment, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. You also can go on Twitter. It's at smarttalk at WITF if you would like to leave a question or a comment on Twitter as well. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. We have an email here from Carol in Elizabethtown who asks, I've written to our commissioners three times about why they won't raise taxes. Our human services are suffering, yet for 11 years they have bragged about not raising taxes. So why? Can anyone tell me? Now, that is an unusual question because most of the time we have people who are asking you know, why did you raise taxes or we don't want you to raise taxes? This, you know, listener is saying, you know, we have human service needs. Why won't you raise taxes? Commissioner, I don't know whether this is an Elizabethtown address in Dauphin County or in Lancaster County, but uh, what do you say? It's probably Dauphin County. But on that, you know, when we go through this this uh, every single year, about 80 percent of our budget is non-discretionary. Uh, our obligations that we have from the state and the Fed and anything like that. And the, por- the, the, the portion of our population that really uses that 80%, I, I don't know that statistic, but it's probably a small amount. And it's, so we go through this balance of trying to be fair to the taxpayers at the same time of providing these needs. And most of these needs, again, are uh, programs that we are asked to carry out by the state and federal government. Not ask, you're told. Right. And, and there, when these programs are started, there is a sharing of cost. And, there, you, you know, some of them were 20, 80, you know, 30, 70, whatever this. Well, those, those are closer to 50-50 today. So part of it is if we just raise taxes and cover what the state and feds are asking us to do and just do it, we answer. I mean, we make their life easy. That's what they want us to do. They're trying to push it to the, to the property tax owner, and we're trying to resist that. And I, I think we have to be giving credit for for carrying out and taking care of our residents at the same time of ca- taking care of our taxpayers. Now, what the state could do and what others would do, and it would be different, is give counties more flexibility to raise funds other than just saying property tax owner, because you own a piece of property, you're going to take care and you're going to pay the burden of this, which is not the case. Sales tax in many times, you know, there's other ways you can do it. You know, a lot of the folks that we have to deal with and go through the system aren't property tax owners, and so they're not paying into the system that's there. And it's just we've resisted that easy approach of just raising property tax because we care about our taxpayers as much as we do those who require the services. Now, that's one of your priorities as well, Doug, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. And, and when I say one of your priorities, meaning uh, more flexibility with uh, raising revenue. But, Commissioner, does there come a time when you just can't say no to a tax increase? Sure. To be honest with you, I thought it would have occurred by now. You know, credit to my two colleagues, credit to our directors, our department directors. Our, our, remember, the people who work at the county live in the county for the most part, and they, they're dealing with their neighbors. So our folks take it very seriously to try to make sure that they meet their obligation to provide the services at the same time doing it at the most cost-effective way. We turn every stone we can. We, we you know partner with other folks as much as we can. Will they come to an end? It could. And, I mean, again, we are 
if anybody would have asked me, would we be able to go 12 years without a ta- tax increase, I would have said they're nuts. Um, but again, it's it's a credit to the hard work of our directors, our partners out there that we've been able to do that. Doug, I saw you chomping at the bit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, you know, and I'll, I'll place the, the question in a statewide context. Um, counties do what they can to hold the line on property tax because it is our only local pro- local tax base. But in any given year, about a third of the counties raise the property taxes. And that that's a telling statistic because that's certainly not our first choice. It's actually the last. When we develop a budget, uh, it is what are we required to do and, what are our, and whether that's by uh, federal government, state government, or our own citizens. And then we say, okay, now do we have enough revenue coming in to cover that? If we don't, then we try to cut costs where we can or try to improve efficiencies where we can. And it's only after we've exhausted all of those alternatives that we go back to the base and say, okay, now it's time. And so when you see a county raising property tax, they're really, they're really left without any alternative. All right, so now let's go to one of your legislative priorities, and that is some flexibility. You've been asking for this for years. We have. But is there any flexibility coming down the line? Have you gotten any flexibility? I mean, I know there were some block grant programs, and all that is is just a different way, but it does help you out that the way the money is distributed. But any flexibility in ways to raise revenue? We don't have anything yet that's on, on our priority list for this year. And as Commissioner Hayes suggested, what we would like are alternatives that better fit our local economics, our local uh, demographics, and all the rest. Uh, I think everyone would agree, as they are structured in Pennsylvania, the sales tax, which exempts basics, and even the income tax flat rate uh, are more equitable than the real property tax. They're more reflective of an individual's ability to pay. And so we would like to have those options at the local level so we don't have to rely on property tax. You know, there's uh, uh, always been a legislative focus on reducing the school tax, and that's understandable because their tax bill is much, much higher than the counties. Uh, but the schools already have uh, an income tax alternative that's probably more than half of their local base county level, it is just the property tax. And so when, as we've been discussing, a mandate comes along or uh, ins- there's insufficient state funds, we have nowhere left to turn but the real property and the real property taxpayer. But you know, people out there listening today, and it's happened throughout the years, that when you start talking about uh, other ways to raise revenue, many people, that says tax increase. Well, it's not a tax increase. It, it it would be a trade-off, and it goes back to my earlier point about how we form the budget. We don't say, okay, let's raise a bunch of money and figure out how to spend it. It's the other way around. What are we required to do by state, federal mandate, or by request of our citizens, and then how do we fund it? And in this case, what we're talking about is funding it from a mechanism that's more fair than a simple reliance on the real property tax. Let's take some phone calls. Heath is in York County. Heath, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Thanks for my call. Yes, you're welcome. Go ahead. Um, My question is, is that the fracking company in northeastern Pennsylvania actually are extracting water from the southern counties without any clauses put upon them? That's a huge, huge... 
you're 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 cutting out on us. I think I get the the gist of your question, Heath, but your your phone is uh, cutting out. I think where he's going with that is that the northern counties where the natural gas drilling is occurring for the most part are seeing most of the money from the impact fee that's being raised for the impact fee. I mean, that makes sense because that's where the biggest impact has been. But the point that Heath is making is that a lot of the water that is drawn for fracking, that there are other counties that uh, are impacted by that, and maybe he's saying that those other counties should be getting some money as well. Uh, This impact fee severance tax issue is a big one for counties, isn't it? Yes, it is. First, I'll answer his question as I understand it. Um, The way the impact fee is currently structured, 40% of it goes to the state, and then the state redistributes it to all the counties in the Commonwealth. So all 67 counties do see some money. Right, and uh, that can go for transportation projects. It can go for environmental projects. Uh, A part also goes to the conservation districts, and that is statewide. So even though it is uh, about uh, a little over half of the counties that actually have the shale gas wells, uh, there is money that flows to all the counties in the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. But in the largest context, um, the impact fee has been of a significant benefit to all of the counties in particular that have impacts as well as the rest of the counties and it's something that we need to see continued and that is one of our priorities for this legislation uh, particularly because we know governor wolf is uh, going to propose a severance tax again as he's indicated Uh, the structure of the proposal he had last year would be acceptable to us Uh, the way he had it structured last year the state would impose a severance tax and then the drillers could take what they paid as an impact fee and reduce that essentially use that as a credit against what they paid the state so the net impact uh, for the drillers wouldn't be quite as significant and at the same time it preserves uh, the significant funding, the programs, the um, all of the, the wide variety of things the impacted counties have been able to do uh, with that revenue stream over the last several years. Okay, so just to be clear, because I would think that there are some people who would think, well, counties are probably going to impose, or excuse me, oppose, um, you know, eliminating an, an impact fee if we would go to a tax. So you just said that it's acceptable what Governor Wolf proposed last year. But say that impact fee is eliminated altogether. If the impact fee were eliminated altogether, it would have a devastating impact on on all the counties in the state, uh, and most particularly the counties where uh, the the, uh, development of the shale gas wells has brought in not just the things that you would normally expect when you take 400 trucks of water across your roads and the the, uh, infrastructure impacts, but it it touched every aspect of county and local operations. Uh, We saw impacts in the criminal justice system, in human services, in education, uh, in in, uh, affordable housing, and, and the list goes on. And so in the intervening years when we've been able to levy the impact fee, uh, we've been using it for that wide array of services that really are generated, that the, the need has been generated by the industry. Uh, two specific questions for Dauphin County, Commissioner Hayes. Sure. And again, this is just to give listeners, because we have listeners in 18 counties across the state, uh, how much money do you get, does Dauphin County get from an impact fee? Now, uh, and, uh, with the knowledge that there's no drilling going on in Dauphin Yeah, I don't, I don't know the exact number. It's around a couple hundred thousand. Okay. Now, my other question, and this is something else that uh, 
It doesn't have anything to do with an impact fee or natural gas drilling, but with casino money. Yes. It was one of the priorities for the legislature this year that uh, there was a court ruling last year that uh, the you know, local municipalities, counties lost money that was coming from casinos, whether you obviously in Dauphin County have a casino, Penn National. Correct. How much money were you talking about there, and are you optimistic that money comes back? Uh, to the local economy, meaning uh, the the local municipalities as well as the county, it's about $10 million. The county itself has $6 million that we distribute in uh, local municipal grants. Uh, if that goes away, it's devastating to our region. And if you think about it, uh, we've used those dollars. That's one of the reasons we've been blessed over the last few years. We've used those dollars to leverage other dollars to come in for projects. So for usually about every one of the casino dollars that we spend, there's $3 going into the project. Uh, my hat's off to Penn National Gaming, who stepped up and worked out an MOU with us to show that they MOU? A memorandum of understanding. Okay. Uh, to say we'll continue to pay for that and uh, up until and until when the legislature penalizes them. Um, our fear is if that goes away, and, and there's some talk, you know, people want to get it and spread it around and do things like that. If they do that, again, that's uh, not living up to a commitment they made to us when, when they asked us to be a host municipality. They're changing the rules, you know, a number of years into the process. And we have projects that are multiple-year projects out there done by municipalities that if the money goes away, we don't have the money, the ability to pay those in year two, three, four, whatever the other years are. So if Penn National didn't step up, would you be feeling or are you feeling the brunt of that yet? We are not feeling the brunt of it yet because of the good partnership with Penn National. If they did not step up and do it, the, the ones who, quite frankly, would suffer are our local municipalities. Most of the money that we deal goes back into infrastructure needs, health care needs, first responder needs in our local municipalities. You know, our, our local EMSs and our local fire companies have benefited and not had to go out and do all the chicken barbecues and things like that and do other things uh, and be able to keep their staff there so that we're providing that safety to our people. That wouldn't be there if it wasn't for this. Let's go to Phyllis in Mountainville. Phyllis, you're on the air. Hello? Hello, Phyllis. Hi. Hi. Um, my comment is regarding uh, fiscal responsibility. Um, I don't understand why any of our governments are spending money before they get it when they don't know how much they're getting. They should be budgeting on what they've all what what they've just received. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much for your call. You know, that's actually what we do. Uh, I mean, go ahead, explain. We, uh, every year we we do our budget. It's based upon the revenue that's coming in. And with the state, it's, to some degree, we're six months into their budget, and there's a six-month commitment. Now, the, the next yeah, six your, months— Yeah, your budget goes the calendar, calendar year, and, and there's, there's fiscal. Yeah, right. Now, the money's not in, but it, there's been a commitment made, and that's where the problem occurred last year. That commitment was made for money coming in their last six months, our first six months, and then the state said, because of our financial problem, we're not going to give it to you. I don't know how you can budget for that once you have a commitment to do it. Uh, it it's no different than when you plan out your mortgage and your other bills in your house. You're, based, you're basing that based upon what you anticipate to earn that year. Uh, so we don't spend money we don't have. In fact, as soon as the state, as Doug mentioned, as soon as the state cut those dollars out and we already had commitments out there, we had to use reserves, we had to borrow money, we had to do whatever. But we do not budget and we do not do it without knowing where the money's coming from. I'll be honest, and I've often said this, you know, being around uh, 
governments, state governments, local, even on the federal level, for, for 30 years, how you can come up with a budget in this atmosphere. I mean, yeah, there are certain things you know are going to happen, but the opioid crisis, for example, a natural disaster, you know, things you can't anticipate. We were just talking before the show started this time last year. We had 30 inches of snow. Right. Those are things you can't anticipate. I mean, I, I just all, I've always thought it would be difficult to come up with a budget for counties in particular when you don't know what you're going to get from the state. And, and you develop your budget. No, I mean, and you prioritize it, but you know there are flexibilities that have to occur. And really what happens when these things occur, if they weren't planned, uh, a lower priority gets put off for a year or two or just never happens. Well, you know, state has a $500 million, $600 million budget deficit for this fiscal year, uh, $1.5 billion for a structural deficit for the next fiscal year. That doesn't bode well for you no. or any of the other, uh, yeah. uh, you know, organizations, counties, governments uh, across the state that are looking for more money. And that really gets to our top legislative priority for 2017, and that is uh, adequate funding for all of our human services programs. And uh, you, you framed the question very well, and uh, we're, we're very anxious about what the outcome is going to be. Uh, when the governor has already indicated in the media, at least, that he in does not intend to propose any broad-based tax increase. Uh, he is going to propose a severance tax, and that might be a few hundred million dollars against a projected $1.6 billion, uh, let alone getting out of the current fiscal year with a projected half-billion-dollar deficit. Our concern is that the, the other side of that coin, so to speak, is reduction in, in reimbursements in, in other programs. And with a governor who has a very high priority for education, then the other next biggest expenditure is human services. Uh, and so we're very much concerned that we're going to feel the brunt of that. And when I say we, I don't mean counties. Yeah, we'll be the administrators of it, but the brunt will fall to the local property taxpayer. You know, I, I appreciate what the caller said. Uh, we do want to budget to provide services to the available funds, but if you cut children use services by 10%, that doesn't mean we're only going to serve 90% of the kids. We have a statutory moral obligation. We're going to serve all of them. So where does the difference come from? It comes from the property and as we are from the county. And then as we discussed before, that's the local property tax. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We're talking about the, the priorities, the legislative priorities of Pennsylvania's 67 counties today. Our guest, Doug Hill, Executive Director of the County Commissioner Association of Pennsylvania and Dauphin County Commissioner Jeff Haste. We welcome your questions and comments. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or comment on Twitter at Smart Talk WITF or on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. Let's go back to the phone now and uh, talk with Mike in York. Mike, you're on the air. Hello, Mike. All right. Uh, one thing, and I'm not quite sure, maybe uh, the two of you can... He said, wanted to ask if the commissioner has a plan to collect taxes from Pennsylvania uh, residents who are registered out of state. Now, I don't know what he means by registered out of state. Maybe he means 
for those who live out of state and work in Pennsylvania. Um, we, we know that there's a lot of that the other way around in some of our border counties, like in Southern York County, uh, Pike County, people working in New York. Do we see any of it coming the other way? Again, that's one of the things that could be available if, in fact, the legislature does property tax reform. However, that's not an option for us right now. Our means of taxing is on the property that's here, no matter where the person lives. Uh, it's on the property that's here, and, and that we tax the property. Do we have any idea how many people, even a ballpark figure, of those who live in another state and come to Pennsylvania to work? Now, I mean, even on a local level, we've seen this with, uh, obviously, those working in Harrisburg and, you know, coming living in other counties and coming into Dauphin County into Harrisburg. Uh, but that's a whole other issue. But, Doug, any idea when we talk about state borders? I, I don't have any magnitude of numbers, but uh, Philadelphia area would be a lot of sure. net importers, a, yeah. uh, a little bit less so in Pittsburgh, Allegheny County region and up in Erie as well. Uh, I think for the rest of the border counties, uh, it, it's probably a mix, and then some are net exporters. When you get to, say, Adams and Franklin counties, there's a lot of people there. That's become a, a suburb of uh, Frederick and, and uh, Washington. Mm -hmm. We have uh, a listener who wanted to ask, and you kind of touched on this, but uh, I'll put it out there anyway. Uh, this is from Barbara in Camp Hill. wanted to ask if either one of our, our guests has or knows of a specific plan in place for the implementation and funding of drug treatment programs. Now, I assume she's talking about from the state level. Well, there, there's a number of things that are, are, that are being worked on. Uh, we already have a system in place through the single county authorities uh, as the primary uh, arbiters of local service delivery. They don't actually deliver the services in most cases, but we contract out with other providers, uh, and that covers a broad spectrum of prevention, treatment, and so on. Uh, we talked earlier that uh, the Department of Drug and Alcohol Programs in particular uh, has jurisdiction and responsibility, and they, along with other members of the cabinet, uh, are working to uh, expand delivery options, uh, expand, to work more toward the uh, prevention and intervention uh, end of the spectrum so that we have few peop fewer people in treatment and get them sooner when outcomes are going to be better. Uh, but again, uh, there are a handful of systemic things that need to change in order to provide local flexibility to do that. And we also need to have a few more dollars available locally uh, to build the provider network a little more strongly than we have now. Doug, you mentioned children and youth services. And I always got the sense that this is one of those areas that you don't hear much about children and youth services unless there's a tragedy. Unless, you know, a child dies or is harmed uh, and, you know, maybe a caseworker missed it or something like that. Seems to be the only time that there is attention. Talk about children and youth services and the needs of counties. Children and youth services is perhaps one of our most difficult services to provide for the very real uh, issues that you mentioned. You know, the, the optimal outcome is to build a stable home for a child. The, the outcome we try to avoid the most is placing the child elsewhere. But you have caseworkers who are caught right in the middle of that spectrum. They have to make those life and death decisions in some cases of what's going to be best for the child. Ultimately, the best is a unified family, but 
in the, the, the price that we have to avoid is loss of life or injury to the child, and that's where it becomes so difficult. And, uh, you know, and even even the legislature recognizes it, we recognize it the, um, with the, the tragedy of Sandusky matter. Uh, they went back in, they addressed the statute in a number of sig- significant ways. They actually passed close to 30 new laws. Which was a good thing. Which is a good thing. No one's going to argue with that. Um, and a lot of it concentrated on who's a mandatory reporter. So we expanded the list to include you know, sports coaches and, and all the rest. Plus, we required more people to be trained. Uh, and we required more in the way of background checks. That's all good. But what we have found at the service delivery level, at the county level, is increases in caseload between 50 and 100 percent because of those new laws. Now, the blessing is the actual number of founded cases didn't grow. So in other words, founded cases where there actually was abuse occurring. Okay. Substantiated. Mm-hmm. Substantiated. Okay. So uh, what, but instead we, it was primarily because we got many more mandatory reporters and they're going to err on the side of caution and make the report. We have to investigate every single one of them. So that counts as a case. And so that has increased uh, our local caseload. We need to see additional dollars appropriated by the state to be, to match that caseload. So but, Commissioner, in Dauphin County, and mm-hmm. I, again, I always say this because uh, you're representative of, there's other 66 counties too, um, it, you didn't find an increase in founded uh, reports. That That is a good thing. Uh, but this would seem, if I'm stating this correctly, tell me if I'm incorrect, uh, that uh, this was another mandate that came from the state, but you got no more money. Were you able to hire more people? What what was the impact of those laws as the result? And we you know and you, and you said Doug and stated correctly, coming down as a result of the Sandusky case. No, we did not see additional dollars. In fact, one of the immediate we've been able to get around this. One of the immediate concerns we actually had is we lost employees. The stress level for some of our caseworkers uh, is probably more than most folks could do. So we we ran into a situation where we had to do a very aggressive and active recruiting process. We, we have some very good employees on there, and we're back up to somewhat normal numbers there. Um, Are you paying them more? Uh, no. Okay. I, I wish we could, but we're really not. You know, and as you were talking, one of the other things in, in where children and youth gets involved in, we talk about the opioids and things like that, and it's tough. We've, we're seeing more and more, call them, I mean, it's like roller, rollover deaths and things like that where we have young children sleeping with the parents. The parents are abusing some substance or whatever. And again, I think well-intended in their thoughts. Uh, in fact, we, we've worked with a local group to do a PSA and things like that. So again, there's more and more demand, more and more callers. The opioids are causing people to have worse habits and behaviors. Uh, so the stress level and, and the load is going up and up and up on those workers. When you say the stress level, I mean, give me a sense of why they why they have more stress. Well, again, every time a caseworker or those folks get involved, they're balancing between what Doug said for is us trying to keep a child in a good, uniform family. And when a case comes in, an accusation comes in, they have to balance the well-being of the child versus the overall well-being of the family. And sometimes that's there's conflict there. 
And so you have an individual who's got this weighing on their mind all the time in, in, in the work that they do. Some people can handle that and, and do okay with that level of stress. There are others who, you know, they have a hard time sleeping at night, and it's they, they choose another profession. Mm. Uh, Doug, you had talked about, uh, and well, both of you mentioned, you know, we've referred to it several times, uh, the impasse last year that uh, the state went nine months with uh, out, out of budget, and counties, school districts, you know, uh, a lot of uh, nonprofits had to borrow money to, to stay in business. Any idea what the total was across the state that counties had to borrow? And if I remember correctly, we were told, at least at the very beginning of that budget impasse, that everyone would be reimbursed. And you said that that hasn't happened. It's not happened, no. And uh, I, I don't have the number off the top of my head. Uh, we do have a study that we did. Uh, it's on our website, pacounties.org. And uh, that does uh, list the different strategies that uh, counties undertook to deal with uh, the impasse, and it does have numbers uh, in terms of uh, money out of reserve, money that they borrowed, interest costs that they paid. Do you does that conversation ever occur when uh, you say you ask someone, "Hey, are we ever going to get it reimbursed for that money that we borrowed?" Well, we we raise the issue, but uh, our biggest point is that can't happen again. That simply can't happen again. The Commonwealth has a responsibility. We have a responsibility to deliver services. Uh, They have a constitutional deadline of June 30th to get the budget done, and uh, we need to have the discipline to do it. More to the point, uh, they have to be able to have a candid discussion that sometimes revenue uh, increases in revenue is part of the mix. That's a conversation we have uh, with increasing frequency at the county level. Uh, whether we want to or not, but it's it's the reality that we deal with when we're talking about people's lives and people's livelihood. And interest, too, on, on right. what was borrowed. Yes. So you didn't see any of that? No. No. All right, let's take a call from Michael in York. Michael, you're on the air. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. And uh, before I make my comment, I want to say Doug Hill is like the pyramid. He's been around forever. When I worked for Schuylkill County, he was 30 years ago, he was the director But anyway, um, one of the things that concerns me is with the legislature's refusal to legislate an an extraction tax on Marcellus Shale is that the Pennsylvania Constitution says that the natural resources of the state belong to all the citizens. And so they should be, the, the extractors should be paying all the citizens, not just those whose municipalities they're driving through. Now, one thing he, but, uh, you know, Doug said that, uh, you know, about 40% of that impact fee money is going to all the counties. Yes, but impact fee means I pay you for what I wear out that belongs to you. What they need to pay is for the value of the asset that they're taking out of the ground, just like rent. The people who rent your building don't just pay you for the wear and tear; they pay you for the value of the uh, of the apartment or house or whatever. All right, Michael, thank you very much for your call. Um, that's kind of hard to judge, but uh, maybe what what Michael's suggesting is, even if we keep an impact fee, that somehow it needs reformed. Well, the the impact fee, as it's currently structured, works 
fairly well for the counties. It it's a, a flat rate against the each wellhead, each well that's uh, spud. It's called that uh, you know that's drilled, and uh, it's in it levied on a declining rate over 15 years, and that roughly parallels with a shale gas well. Uh, it's useful life anyhow. And so on its face was relatively equitable for what we were trying to accomplish. The governor, uh, his severance tax does take the tack that uh, the, the caller suggested, and that is based on, on value of the production. Mm-hmm. We have a new administration in Washington. I think uh, everyone pretty much knows that after the news of this past weekend. Um, does what happens on the federal level, I mean, I know that there, there are some impacts, but what in particular will counties be watching in Washington, the the issue that we're looking at right now is Medicaid, and Medicaid uh, the Medicaid issue is going to take two different tacks for us here in Pennsylvania. Uh, one is under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, you've heard about Medicaid expansion, and right. Governor Wolf opted to do that. Uh, that's brought in. I don't know the exact amount, somewhere between three hundred four hundred million dollars, and it's uh, serving an additional uh, about five hundred fifty thousand people here in Pennsylvania. So as they talk about repeal or gradual repeal replacement of the Affordable Care Act, that amount of money and those number of people uh, are going to be impacted as a part of that debate. And so if that money were to just disappear, that 1.6 we're talking about for next year could be two, two billion deficit. The other side of Medicaid, and this was uh, uh, just reported over the weekend, is that the president is also talking about making the core Medicaid program a block grant. And uh, to explain, right now it's what's called an entitlement. And so the, there are certain services that are entitled to be paid. The federal government pays whatever that cost is. So if you have an expansion in the number of clients or if you have an increase in the cost, the state gets the federal share. The state matches it. Where that impacts the county is a lot of that money flows through to us. And that's in long-term care, mental health, intellectual disabilities, children, youth, a number of other programs. And so to the extent... That becomes a block grant. On the one side, it gives more flexibility in how it's spent, so you don't have to meet narrow federal guidelines. On the other hand, though, it's no longer an entitlement. And so the federal government appropriates just as much or just as little as it chooses. And then to maintain the programs, the difference is left up to the state and local government. We only have about 45 seconds left. I want to thank both of you for being here today. Uh, You are having an event at the Capitol on Wednesday where you're talking about many of the same things that we just uh, discussed. But do you see any, and I'll ask this question, I ask it about the opioids, but do you see any reason to be optimistic that you can get some things this year that you haven't been able to get in the past from the state? I think this is going to be a transformational year. When we talk about a potential $1.6 billion shortfall in revenues against projected expenditures, uh, we are going to, I'm afraid, get to the core definition of who provides what service and who pays for what service. Um, At the optimal, the state will find the funding sources. At the worst, it falls back to the local property taxpayers. Doug Hill was with the County Commissioners Association of Pennsylvania, Dauphin County Commissioner Jeff Hayes. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you to the listeners. We talk about uh, college affordability tomorrow.